that's it. There's just, there are so many people that are out sick, and if you're hacking, just apologize now to the person next to you and in front of you and get that out of the way. Um, listen, before we kind of jump into to some other topics and items, I want to give you an update. I'm constantly amazed at the fact that we serve one God and there's one Spirit. And um, when, when something goes on in, in one part of the world or in one context, and it bleeds over into the other seamlessly, and you just see God's hand at work in that, um, it just reminds you there's one Holy Spirit that's, that's, that's at work in this. And, and that Spirit is at work in one person, and they're at work in, in another person. And, and when those two come together, it's just so exciting. Almost on a weekly basis, um, there's something that goes on in our weekend worship services that, that is like that. Rob and I will talk between you know message and songs and elements of the service, um, and things will just kind of kind of flow that way. We had we had something else going on this week. Um, I got a new email from George and Stacy Black, who were on the Grace Children's Home down in Mexico. Many of you have stepped foot on that place and served down there. And others of you have written checks and given money to support orphans down in Tijuana, Mexico, or uh, a little more like Rosarito area. And um, I, I haven't heard from George and Stacy in a long while now, and I get an email kind of out of the blue on um, Friday night. And, uh, and it says this. It says, Dave, um, I'm putting out an all-points bulletin to those who can help us finish Grace Baby Snow. Uh, and some of you remember George having a vision to, um, in fact, I remember him drawing it out on the dust there at Rancho Solo two years back. And he's drawing out that, now there's some drug dealers that live across the street from the orphanage. And as far as orphanages go, that's not the most ideal, right? You don't really want that. Um, and so we're praying that God would give us that land and that we could tear down what's going on there and build a baby's home. And then he drew over here, you know, and over here we're looking at um, expanding and doing kind of an, an elderly home. So we have a children's home, a baby's home, an elderly home, all kind of different little swath of land. And, um, if, if, you know, if you talk to George for two minutes, you realize he's not short on vision. God's just giving him audacious dreams. And, um, and here it is. He's drawn this out of the dirt. And I get, I get this email. It says, I'm putting up an all-points bulletin for those that could help us finish Grace Baby Zone. We really need knowledgeable, hard-working construction crews to finish framing, put a roof on this place, and get it finished. The land is paid off, and in Hugo's name, Hugo is their missions uh, agency. The foundation and retaining wall are solid and well-built. The first floor framing is finished, and there's one wall framed on the second floor, and we're pretty excited about this project. Here's a picture of where we parked. So for those of you who've been down there, those cars, the back of their car is pointing to Grace Children's Home. That is all brand new. That's right where uh, some bad folks live across the street from the orphanage. And things are moving. He says this, we're, we're excited about this project because it will be the first home in Tijuana that is completely dedicated to taking infants and providing them with safe, clean, and loving home, which will give them a wonderful foundation for the rest of their lives. And, um, and as you take a look, this is looking from the baby's home. You can see Grace Children's Home uh, there on the left. And many of you have worked on that road that gets really muddy and, and uh, fun in four-wheel drive um, you know, in the winter. And here it is, just going out. And here's kind of an artist concept of, of what they're hoping to do for this baby's home. And so just exciting things. We're, we're, uh, here's part of what made this so exciting. I did this on Friday night, and, um, and set up the week prior was a meeting for Mexico this summer, the following morning. So I did this on Friday night. We're planning on meeting Saturday morning. And, um, and so Jonathan and myself, Chris Shelley, then got together and we're already talking about it and it was just so fun to kind of bring these pictures and bring this update and say by the way it looks like God may need um, a trip before the summer where we grab some people for a long weekend and come and just crank out some stuff down there so stay tuned for that we're looking at maybe February or March a very nimble quick trip this isn't weeks of planning this isn't puppets this is like you know a work belt head down take take three or four days and um, and put some put some work into this um so anyway, and the other thing I would say this is open this up to people you know. Put them in contact with me, and uh, and I will be happy to kind of put them in contact with, with, uh, with Chris Shelley. This doesn't have to be just a, a neighborhood Bible church thing. Uh, they also mentioned just funds. There's all these funds needed. Uh, Mexico is a great place because they, they build as they go. And so all over the place you see, you know, just rebar sticking up out of, out of things. And it's like, well, you know, we have pesos for this much, and we stop, you know. We need, we need some more money to keep going. 
and um, and they're the same way. And, and so um, um, that's just another thing that, that we could be supporting and we're excited about and, uh, and fired up about. So praise God for that. Um, listen, I invite you to pull out your notes. They look something like this during your bulletin, and we're in the middle of a series right now called Demanding. And on the front of your bulletin, there's a picture that says the word believe. And um, and this demand, we looked last week at the fact that you must be born again. And that's not a suggestion, that's not a component, it's up for debate. It's, it's a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In some ways, we can look at this. What is God's will for every single Christian that chooses to follow Jesus? We're looking at those non-essential elements. And you say, what is God's will for my life? Usually we're asking about something more specific. Start to look at what God revealed to you in His Word. Begin walking in those paths. And this morning, the command is, believe me. I wonder if you could do this. I wonder if you could take what you believe and put it in a Twitter post. A Twitter post allows you how many characters? 140, right? I had to look it up online. I, I, I thought that. That was my guess, and I was right. A plus for day. Um, 140, is that right? 140. Then the Twitter, well, Twitter expert told me so it's correct. Um, so could you take what you believe and sum it up in a Twitter post? Could you, could you write and just kind of say, this in summation is, is what I believe? And I see some of you nodding your head saying, yeah, I think I could do that. And others of you may struggle with that and say, that'd be, that'd be tough to, to kind of put there. I left it uh, on purpose here. There's no fill in the blank, so don't freak out that Dave never got to the first fill-in because you won't hear a word I say. Some person might be like, hey, get to that first fill-in. It's blank on purpose, okay? So I would just say, what would you fill in here? on this first one. In blank, I trust. And rather than just give the church answer, God, you know, that's just ripping it off from our currency. Come on. Um, I, I, really wanna, I really wanna challenge you with that. I really want you to think about that. I really want you to kind of dial into that this morning. If you think about it, what you believe, and I'm not talking just about spiritual matters or God matters right now, but what you believe is, it kind of provides a framework for discovering truth. What you believe, in essence, uh, you could you could start tying into that to say this is where your where your confidence rests. What you would put in that Twitter post is is what you would run to, what you would build things on, what you would rely on. It answers who, what, and how you worship. And I know some people in this room and many people outside of this room would say, you know, I'm not really that spiritual. I don't really worship. My answer to that is alone. That's completely not true. That's a little bit like a fire that's saying, you know what, I'm just not very hot. You know, a fish that says, I'm not really that into water. A plane, I'm not into ice. It's like what you were made for is worship. It's in your very nature. It's kind of built into you. And so you may never step foot in a church. You may never talk about God. You may not believe in God. But you do worship. And what you believe affects immensely how you worship. In fact, it's the key to how you worship. All worship, and I use that word this way, what is it you dwell on? What is it that you submit to? What is it that you sacrifice for? That God, little G or big G, is what you worship. So everyone worships something. A.W. Tozer said this, he says, What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. We just sang this song that said this, it was such a... Just a heartfelt pray, prayer behind this week is we just saying, show us who you are. And the, the one refrain there says, leave us amazed at who you are. And I hope this morning, and I hope every Sunday morning as we come together and kind of and kind of gather like this, that we really can come and rest, kind of lay down. We are not God. We cannot create the kind of change we need in our lives, in our homes, in our country. And so God, we, we just rest this morning in letting you be you. And we rest in, in, in laying things down. We're actually mimicking God this morning by... By resting, by coming together and and Sabbathing, basically, and that's a great thing. And I hope that's what I hope that's what our worship services are for you. And I hope this morning to paint a big picture of God that would allow for some of that. Psalm thirty-one six, the psalmist says this: "I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord." Now that's some pretty stark language. That's some pretty passionate language to hate those who cling to idols. And yet this person says, I trust in the Lord. What we're going to see is that those are two very different teams. And in fact, later on we're going to read a psalm and talk about that being an enemy. 
that those are those are diametrically opposed people that either cling to a worthless idol or trust in the Lord. There's kind of a host of words that, that tie into this demand, and for those of you who are kind of visual learners, you can you can write your own words that kind of you see the word believe. <laughs> what is it? And then you also think of there. I'm going to toss out a couple. Belief ties in with trust. It ties in with confidence. It ties in with the word faith. And so as we're looking at this, as we're looking at this demand to believe me, we need to think about some of these, this host of other words (coughs) that are there. (coughs) By the way, I know someone who's sick. It's me. (laughs) I'll be drinking lots of water today. Um... One person said of the word confidence this way. Confidence is the feeling you experience before you fully understand the situation. Some of you guys, some of you guys have experienced that, maybe even this week. You went into something super confident and realized afterwards you probably shouldn't have been quite, quite so confident. Proverbs 14.12 puts a spin on it and says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So what is it that we are putting our confidence in? What is it that we're clinging to? Where is your hope? What is it this morning that you're relying on? The Bible is an amazing gift from God because it not only speaks of all the things that we're to put our trust in, all the things we're to put our confidence in, and pointing us in that direction, but in speaking to the breadth of life, the Bible acknowledges there's so much that you shouldn't put your confidence in. There's so much that you shouldn't believe in. There's, there's things to avoid and not trust. Proverbs 14, 15 says this, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. That's what we want to do this morning. We don't want to be simple and just walk in and just believe it because the song says so, because our parents told us so, because the preacher said so, because that's what gets me involved in this church is believing a certain set of things. We want to give thought to our steps. My aim this morning is kind of threefold. One is to stir your thoughts of where your confidence lies. Maybe you think it lies somewhere. Maybe your words say it lies somewhere. But maybe it really comes out somewhere else. I love what one of the junior hires just shared. And that is that when your faith is tested, you get to see what it's built on. Where your roots are. How deep it is. And this guy, Dan, that spoke at the retreat has a pretty powerful story. Getting cancer in his early 20s. And seeing just what kind of faith uh, was there in his life. And the junior hires got to experience that. I want to stir your thoughts as to where your confidence lies. I also want to remind us why faith is difficult but good. If you're feeling like faith is difficult this morning, you're not alone. Let's put that on the table. Let's talk about it. Let's acknowledge that. And finally, I want to offer a clear picture of a great God who could be trusted no matter what. And that's one of the tenets of our of our children's program. That we say we just want to we want to hand to our kids an image of God, a picture of God, getting to know Him, and that He can be trusted. So I'm going to kind of blitz through some scriptures, and um, I'm going to put a few of them on the screen, and you can uh, you can jot these down. But these are pretty easy to, to find by typing in the words like trust and commit your ways and faith and those kinds of things into any kind of free online Bible program or one that you might own at home. But what I want to do for you is just read a short little blitz and say an overarching massive command in all of Scripture is this simple. Believe me. It's God saying, believe me, trust me. It comes up in different ways. But listen to these. Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good. Psalm 37.5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isaiah 26.4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Isaiah 50.10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. All those words are just tying into this word belief. Moving on to Jesus. I'll give you a second to write those down. Some of you are writing feverishly. Jesus had lots to say about it. Constantly we see all kinds of things. And, and, and I just see this, this, again, it's just a drumbeat. that if you read the Gospels over and over, you just see this theme and how absolutely important it is. Mark 1.15. The kingdom of God is near. Repent 
and believe the good news. Mark 5.36, talking to a synagogue leader, says, don't be afraid any longer, only believe. When he walked in, he said, the girl's not dead. 12-year-old girl, I talk about a 12-year-old boy. People are mourning for this girl, and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. And in Matthew 9.9, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth and said, follow me. And that, in essence, is saying, put a massive account of trust in me. Believe me. And Matthew gets up and follows. Think about the word faith. Hebrews 11 says, by it we please God. On the cover of your bulletin, this idea of belief and faith is, is doing the work of God. John chapter 6. Mark 5 and others, so many places. Jesus says over and over, daughter, your faith has made you what? Well. Right? Or whole. Your faith has made you well. So it's just this massive, massive theme. Why is it demanding? There's kind of a double ring to this whole demanding series. One is that it's demanding. It's not optional. It's not something left as a, as a side issue. The things that are most important that I want to get most clear to my kids, I look down and I make crystal clear, this is a command. This is essential. You understand this? Yes. Believe me is one of those kinds of demands. We're not going to go into this a whole bunch because we looked at this a whole bunch for the last two weeks about being born again. And that's the starting point. But I want you to notice kind of the ominous tone that often surrounds belief with words like perish and condemned and die and darkness. And what, what it's saying is, this is really important. Remember last week we talked about people who maybe thought that they were alive when really they were dead? And the Bible paints it in stark picture. You're either dead spiritually or alive spiritually. Here's first John, or here's John chapter 5, 24. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes, there's that word, him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be condemned. There's the ominous part of it. Whoever believes will have eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We see the same thing in John 3, about 16 to 18. Talking about this idea that belief ties into life. It's the starting point. It's so important. Why is it demanding? It's also demanding because as we follow Jesus, as we press in on what it means to follow Jesus, just like Matthew getting up from, from his place and getting up and taking those first few steps to follow Jesus, we think it's going to be one thing, don't we? We think being a Christian is all about this. And as we start to take a few steps and we walk through life a little bit, all of a sudden God starts to change in our minds a little bit as we grow to know Him, as we get to see Him for more of, of who He is. There better be parts in your spiritual journey that you come around the corner and say, wow, I don't really like this picture of God. Wow, this doesn't line up with just how I thought of it. Otherwise, maybe he's a God of your own invention, of what your own mind can come up with. And there are just times where I've come along and said, this is, hard. This is a lot harder than I ever dreamed it would be, God. I guess I'm glad you didn't let me know on day one it would be this difficult. Maybe I would have never signed up. But I, but I can't go back. I, I'm with the disciples. You know, I, I can't leave also, Jesus. You alone have the words of life. Where else would I go? I know this is the right path. As demanding as it is, it's the path to life. And so I'm going to persevere. That's what we want to focus on a little bit here this morning, is why our faith is difficult. I want to talk about the idea of it being tested. Some of you this morning, when I talk about your faith being tested, you immediately jump to a host of circumstances and, and life situation right now. And you're immediately tracking with it. You say, yeah, my faith is really being tested right now. Some of you might be one week, one day, one hour away from severe testing. That's the fascinating, maybe you could call it exciting part of being a Christian. You never really know what tomorrow holds. And there might be severe testing for me on my way home today. Some of you are in it, some of you are maybe about to be in it. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your faith is tested. First John 4 1 says something interesting in, in, the, in the realm of what not to believe, and in, in the realm of being cautious about our belief. He says this Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets 
have gone out into the world. I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3 for a moment. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 is your memory verse uh, for this week for, for a family. If you have children, this is an amazing verse to hand your kids and gift your kids with. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was drilled into me, I don't know, probably kindergarten, first grade. And time and again, that verse, the Spirit prompted to bring to my mind in times of trial and, tri- and tribulation and testing. And I thought about that verse. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. The Bible also talks constantly about false preachers, false gospels, false Christ, and false prophets. And you kind of look around at our culture today and say, who are the false prophets? Let me say this. If someone's preaching a false gospel, they're a false prophet. They're, they're providing truth from God. They're providing truth with a capital T that isn't there. It's leading somewhere other than the cross of Christ. Here's a false gospel that's being taught, and that is self as God. Rely, have confidence in, believe, have faith in yourself. What I want to do is this. Spend a few minutes thinking about the idea of our faith being tested by self-reliance. Someone who has Proverbs 3, 5, would you just stand up and read it? Can I just get a hand so I can see who's going to do that? Go ahead, Rob. And do the, do the next verse also. Say. Oh, did you just that? That's the black verse. Okay. <laughs> So self-reliance is the opposite of what this verse just says. The Bible says really clearly, lean not on your own understanding. I'm told time and again to lean on my own understanding. Now during worship, um, there was a there was a, uh, a background that, that came up on one of the slides, and it looked like, I've never been to Utah, but it looked like climbing rocks in Utah, and I happened to catch my buddy Jose over here light up about that. Um, aren't you a rock climber? Yeah, we talked long and hard about that. He spent some time out there, and, um, and, and uh, I happened to know kind of the direction I was going this morning, and so come up here just for a second, Jose, I'm going to pick on you. I know, I know he's comfortable doing this sort of thing. So come on up, everybody. How you doing? You didn't know you were going to do this. Okay. Um, you, ever, you ever been in a situation stuff like this? Um, yes, I have. Okay. Have you, have you been on both sides of that? Have you been on the one on the way and then down below? Okay. Have you ever done any teaching of rock climbing? Yes, I have. Okay. Let me just see if this is true. I've witnessed this. I'm not a huge rock climber guy. I'm turning this. I didn't see the answer. No. Um, but... Um, it, when, when someone is beginning rock climbing and they're hooked up um, and, and, there's, and there's a rope coming out here, um, what, what's, what, let me ask you this way. Someone's starting to do a, a rappel, what are some things you need to, to tell them before they go off that ledge that they need to do? Um, what I need to do is I say, I got you on my rope. Okay. Um, lean back, go down, and um, just sit. Okay, perfect, perfect. And then, uh, and then as far as rock climbing, let me show you a picture. This is a picture from this summer. This is a, this is a rock climbing wall that came late. And, um, and something that I've observed, and I, I mean, it, it sounds like what, what you just said is what's needed to be said, and that is, you know, sit back, lean into, what is this thing called? The harness. The harness. Trust, trust equipment, right? Lean in. I, I love what he said. I got you, right? Okay, give it up for a little bit. Thanks. <laughs> It's a little bit like a courtroom. You have to bring an expert up. You guys are like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But he does, okay? So just work with me on this. But here's what I've seen time and again, is that, is that people are on a, a rock climbing wall, and I, I climbed this wall this summer also, but as you're sitting there, what, what, what your instinct tells you to do is this. It tells you to grab onto something, right? I'm losing my grip on, on this right here, and your forearms are just burning, and so you want to grab onto something. And you know what the person on the leg, back here holding the rope and, and testing out is, is they're, they're saying, hey, I've got you. And what happens is, that's, that's a little bit like self-reliance. Here's just a couple shots of, of, of climbing and kind of, and kind of what goes on with that. Um, there we go. Um, is, is, it, is it if you're holding on to this, you can't rock climb. If the goal is to get to the very top, you can't just do it with your feet while holding on. You have to put trust in the equipment. 
And, and think about this walk of faith that we have. We, we, we can't cling to self-reliance and do what God has would would have us do. He needs all four limbs for us to be to be working on that. We 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 need to let go of what we think we should be hanging on to, even though it feels secure. The first area of self-reliance you can put there's there's three of them I'm going to give you. One is just urges, passions, desires. This is the person who is who is governed by who puts who puts confidence in what their passions are, what feels right. I have a sense that this is right, and so it must be true, and so I'm going to run with it. Another way of thinking about it is this. It's, it's leaving yourself with only your senses. If you're on a rock climbing wall, and it's the first time you've ever done it, it feels right to grab on right here. And then you just, you know, and then what happens is you swing around, you know, and you hit your shoulder into the wall, and the person's saying, get back on the wall. But this feels right to, to, to do, is to, to, to grab on to something. It's actually a, a perilous way to live, is to live just by our senses. Um, one of the things I enjoy is, is just history and, and different kinds of things like that. And the uh, USS Indianapolis was on this mission. It was near the close of, of World War II. And it left California on a super secret. It was delivering this cargo that not even the crew knew what was, was on, the, on the ship. And so it, it, it cruises along and it finds this mid-Pacific island that it was headed to. And after its delivery, it, it meets up with this Japanese submarine. The Japanese submarine comes along and just peppers its hull with torpedoes. And the thing sinks. And 700 people on that ship are now floating in the water in life jackets, life reservoirs. And mind you, this was so secret that no one really even knew where they were. It was just the utmost top secret. It was actually part of the atomic bomb that they were delivering. And so they knew, no one even really knew where they were. Unbeknownst to them, they were a thousand miles from, uh, from land. I think the uh, Philippines were the, were the closest land. A thousand miles. No one knows where you are. You're floating in, in, in the ocean. You get the scene. That's, that's what's going on. 700 sailors, 1,000 miles from the Philippines. Their training said this. If you're sunk, here's two things that you need to do. You need to stay together in large groups. And you need to not drink the salt water, even though you'll be tempted to. Here's what went on during the next several days. People were there, and they were just panicky. The sun was scorching their bodies. They were in their minds. And just imagine having nothing to do but rolling over in your mind that no one knows where we are. And so some of the guys took off and decided to make for land themselves. And these guys, one guy reported, you could actually see shark fins swimming around them, and they, they, they wouldn't attack them if they were together. But some of them were taken by sharks. Some of them just drowned and were, were never heard from again. It felt right. seemed right to head off the land. It was a bad choice. Others started to gulp the poisonous sea. And in their, and in their, and in their mind, I mean, you can just imagine this. You're surrounded by water, and you finally just start to, to, to drink in the ocean. And what eventually happened with them is they became deranged and many of them became violent. One guy actually attacked his friend and killed him because he thought he had a freshwater canteen. He just saw it that way. Some of them lived. They held their train. They stayed together. They trusted not their instincts, but they leaned heavily in on what was true. Here's the illustration for us. When the urges are strongest, that's when the restraint and to say, I need to, I need to lean heavy on what's true, is most important. I mean, life or death important. Now, now I'll relay this on to your spiritual life. Do you see why being in a group of, of a, a, a community of believers is so important? Don't do it, sister. Don't do it, brother. Don't you dare head out there. It's the wrong move. I know it feels right, but don't do it. Don't you dare drink the ocean. It will end up bad for you. And we need that. That's relying on yourself when it comes to urges. Society adds this weird fuel to the fire about, about living by our passions, living by our desires. First of all, they, they applaud and celebrate those who live this way. Celebrities are celebrated. And, and many celebrities are, <coughs> are doing what many of us would do, just on our own natural whim, handed millions and millions of dollars and all kinds of power um, in our young 20s, because we would go make a mess of our lives. We'd go live by urges. We'd go live like the prodigal son. We'd go spend it on fancy free living. 
And that's celebrated, and pictures are taken, and stories are written up, and lots of people are interested about them now. The second way that society adds this weird kind of fuel to this fire is if you look around our culture, we have a culture that is aggressively and, and systematically, um, you know, uh, employing different rules that restrict our physical freedom. Think about seatbelts to helmets to texting laws, to all these things. Now, I'm not here to, to debate whether those are right or not, but what I'm saying is this. We have this interesting paradox in America where we put all this restraint and we're all willing to submit to it in terms of protecting our physical environment and our physical lives, but when it comes to moral restraint and imposing that on anyone, no way! We're free from that! Don't you dare put a, uh, uh, ethical kinds of restraint on my life. And yet that's guarding the real life. That's guarding our soul life, the, the, the precious life that, 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 that God's given to us. So no restraint in terms of ethics. No restraint in terms of saying, don't you dare tell me what's right and wrong and how to live. I would submit to anything in that. But get me a five-point harness because I might die on my way to 7-Eleven today. It's just a weird thing to stand back and kind, of, and kind of look at that. All it takes is driving in a foreign country. Ron Rose right now is in Shanghai, probably at this moment. And I promise you, in Shanghai, there are different regulations about safety than there are in this country. Interesting. Our culture has gone a little bit disturbed with that. But we don't want to do the other, the other side of it. Urges and desires and senses and passions close a really stiff test to our faith. But I will say this, um, and this is just oops, I'm just behind on my thing here. There you go, desire. Um, this is Elizabeth, actually. I think this is you. Um, here, here's, here's the thing. Standing on the top of the, of the pamper pole, which is about which is about this big around, um, you have to have your feet, if you know, I have size nine and a half, you know, ten feet, and I have to stand with my feet just like this, and the whole thing is wobble. You're up there, and it's just kind of wobble like this. What you have is you have this rope that's behind you like this, attached to a to a, um, a, a cable going across. And what's so cool is there's a trapeze bar that's uh, roughly six feet out and six feet high. And what you're supposed to do is try to lunge for it and grab onto it. And what's so amazing is to have um, to have different kinds of people go up there. Some kids just climb right up, they get to it, and they just jump. Other kids, I mean, they're standing here like this. <laughs> Again, hanging on to something, right? Because the bird says, man, I've got to be hanging on to something. And and finally, the whole you know peer pressure below is saying, one, two, three, you know, four, five, you know, jump. You know, then we start shaking the full hundred. <laughs> But what's so cool is that, is that this image just represents we can't overcome our urges. Can't we? We, we can't overcome our senses. I've never skydived, but I hope to someday. I, I imagine when you're standing at the edge of a plane, it just takes everything to say, ignore what seems to be true at this moment, which says I should step back from the edge of a plane and jump and take this leap of faith because there are other truths that are greater than what I feel right now. Here's the second way that we... <coughs> can tend to rely on ourselves. Carl, I'm not advancing with my thing right now. Can you put it forward one, please? Thank you. Is in the area of, of intellect. The idea of, of relying on reason and logic, accumulation of knowledge, information, figuring it out. If I can just get all the pieces and figure it out, that's what I rely on. That's how I go into a problem. I just need all the, all the data points. And then I can synthesize and put it in a cool graph, and then I can make a decision and move forward. This line of thinking, the, the idea of relying on your intellect or your knowledge is as old as the Greeks and the Stoics. It's, it's, it's been around for as long as, as, as we can remember. The question is, is it reliable? Every system of belief that is out there, whether it's religious, philosophical, uh, or, or otherwise, it all rests on some basic tenets. It rests on some assumptions that must be true. Here's for a Christian what we rest on. And we ought to go after these. If I'm attacking a Christian on what they believe, I ought to go after these basic things because these are foundational. If these crumble, the whole thing crumbles. Reliability of the Bible is one. The possibility or impossibility of, of resurrection. <laughs> the sovereignty of God. The actual historical person of Christ, Jesus. Those are, those are some of the things you, you, you have to settle and, and go after. 
But what I would say is this, when you're, when you're dialoguing with someone who holds totally different philosophical points of view, it's just as fair for them to have support under their basis. And part of how you can dialogue with someone about, about your faith is to talk to them about their faith. I, I, I just love talking to people and saying, you know, um, especially from other cultures, it's so fun from other countries, is to say, hey, what is it that your village, that your town, that your family is talking about the afterlife? And nine times out of ten, they'll immediately spit out an answer. Not like, what are you talking about? <coughs> so they'll tell me, well, I'm from Hong Kong, and, and we believe in this. I'm from Japan, and, and we, we think this. And then I, and then I just bring it more narrow. What about you? Do you believe in that? Sometimes the answer is, of course I do. Sometimes the answer is, oh, no, that's a myth. That's what my grandmother believed. So then you say, well, well what, what is it you believe? And what, what you can do is just begin a dialogue and say, it's, it's perfectly appropriate for a person to question things about the Bible and about Jesus and the sovereignty of God and creation and all these different things that people want to talk about. It's also completely appropriate to ask back the other way and realize that every philosophy is built on some basic ideas. The question is, are they reliable or not? And some people have thought about this a surprisingly small amount. Some people have massive belief systems that they believe or trust in because they're widely held or they're, they're repeated super often or they're said really, really loud. So they've, they've adopted that without really ever kind of investigating what it is. Let me give you one example. One example of this, and this is kind of one of our, you know, I talk about the fact that we don't submit to moral, ethical things put on, our, on ourselves in the culture. One of the, one of the highest tenets we have, I would suppose, as Americans, is this. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. That's, you know, I, I pick on Disney all the time. That's definitely a, a, a driving thought of Disney every time is that I know the authority said this, but it feels right to do this. Do this, and it works out really happy in the end. Think about flies over the castle. Fireworks, the end. It always works out. Be true to yourself. Here's the, here's the problem with that. Hitler, Polkot, Mugabe, Jeffrey Dahmer, all of them, I would say, were being true to themselves. And it's, it's easy to kind of look out at the worst people in history and say, yeah, that's them. It's pretty easy to, to turn this inward, isn't it? What if there were parts of you this week that you were true to? Urges, thoughts, attitudes. And we look at that and say, questioning this bag, which part of myself am I supposed to be true to? There's parts that I would say are good, parts that I would say are bad. There's enough rotting compost in my own thought life, in my own actions, in the words that escape my mouth, and I wish I could take them back. To say that that's a that's a flimsy way of going through life. Flip over to Colossians really quick. Colossians chapter three. And in Colossians three, starting in verse five, <coughs> we're instructed from Scripture this: put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Remember the worthless idols before trusting in the Lord at the start of the talk this morning? Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. More on this next week. We're going to look a little bit of what it means to put on the new self. So we won't dive into this a ton. But the scriptures give us a clear indication that being true to yourself is a, is a hollow kind of thing. That many trust in ideas because they're widely held or repeated. Or because they're said really, really loud. Without ever really thinking of the consequences. Let me move on to a third area, and that is might. Some people rely on desires and urges and senses, some with the mind and the intellect, some by their power, their might, or their skill. This could be financial, this could be physical, this could be relational. Psalm 27 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
That's what we want to come together weekly and be reminded of and say that to each other and affirm by our lives and affirm with our mouths and sing it back to the Lord. We trust in you. We don't trust in these other things that people put their trust in. Psalm 49.6, calling them his enemies, the writer says, they trust in their wealth and boast of great riches. There again is that passionate language. Calls them their enemies because they're on, they're on two different paths. One that leads to life and one that leads to death. One that is a false hope and one that is a, a true hope. There's an interesting story in 2 Samuel 24. You don't have to turn there, but just write this down and look this up later on. The whole idea of measuring your strength, taking stock of things, can be flat out sin. To be looking at the stock page every single day and to be, and to be uh, you know, constantly taking stock of what you have and evaluating what you have might be flat out sin for you. 2 Samuel 24 says this. It's the king, King David. And although he's a man after God's own heart, he decides one day that he wants to take a census. It's kind of interesting. We got our census in the mail. Um, I told my wife this morning while I was making my coffee, I said, honey, I said, maybe today we can do our taxes and, and, and the census. And she goes, it sounds like five of the times, you know, <laughs> like she's married or something and we're, we're going to head somewhere. Um, but here's David, he wants to, he wants to take a census, uh, a, a census and Joab warns him, he says, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my Lord and King see it. But why does my Lord the King want to do such a thing? He's warning him. God's actually using Joab to warn David. Don't do this. I mean, may, may God just multiply you a thousand times over, may you see that, but don't do this. You know what King David says? Overrule. I'm going to do it. I'm going to move forward with it. So he gives the command. And then it says later on, it says this, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. We can learn from King David here. We can learn from King David in saying he clearly was motivated not by taking stock because he wanted to give half his fighting against to other people, but he was taking stock of it to say, this is where my confidence lies. This is where my hope lies. I want to invite a part of the band up, and we're going to sing a song right now. I found myself this week singing many old hymns because some of the old hymns have some amazing language in it that captures this idea of being rock solid in our faith and knowing it in our bones. And just before we sing this song, I want you to look at the screen. This is from Isaiah chapter 50. <coughs> Isaiah almost does this sweeping categorical uh, woe to covering some of these different areas that we just talked about in terms of our faith being tested by wanting to rely on ourselves. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You know people like that? wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who equip the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tons of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Let's sing this song together.
John 11, 12. Martha's speaking. Remember this? She says this, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Talking about Lazarus. Remember Jesus got word about Lazarus? What did he do? He stuck around for a little while. And so like the psalmist, we cry out sometimes, God, where were you? I was calling out to you. What happened? How long, the Lord? And maybe you're in that season right now. It was testing. <laughs> Judges chapter 7. Remember Gideon? Gideon had 32,000 men. He was going up against over 100,000 men in a, in a battle. And God looks down and says, that's too much. He'll be tempted to think it's his own doing. Let's whittle this down a little bit. How many did, did, did God whittle Gideon's army down to? 300. Now, whose, whose victory was it at 300 men against 100,000? It was the Lord's. Clearly, it was the Lord's. You don't think Gideon was tempted in that situation? Tested, I mean? He was tested. His faith was tested. But he went to battle. God's testing reveals and reminds that it is not my strength, not my might, not my cleverness, and not my senses that get me through a trial. And they're going to accomplish what God has coming. How often it is in my life that, that my whining and my questioning turns eventually to repentance as I see the Lord work something out. And I say, God, you know what? I came to you with whining, and I came to you with questioning, and I just need to... I need to apologize about that and grow me. Grow me next time to have more faith. I like that prayer. I think it's in Mark somewhere. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Grow me. Two pages over from where you are in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. First Peter's a whole book, by the way, about testing and trials. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. We shouldn't count it strange when someone comes and says, I have a prayer request. My faith is being tested right now. I'm in a massive trial. We shouldn't be in shock with them and say, What? That's amazing. We should say, You know what? And that's why it's great to be in close fellowship, in close relationship, in close contact with a brother or sister who's been there. They walk the road for 20 years ahead of them. Don't walk alongside them sometimes. I need some help in this. Did you ever feel dry in your devotional reading? Have you ever prayed out to God and felt like they, they didn't reach any higher than you could see in the roof? Get some counsel from them. Verse 19 of 1 Peter 4 says this, those who suffer according to God's will, there's a whole realm of suffering that isn't according to God's will, by the way. And he touches on that here. But those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and continue to do good. That's the action point. Commit yourselves to the faithful creator, to this God that we're, that we're seeking out, that we're growing in, in knowing. And Philippians 1.29, write this down because this is a poignant verse to chew on. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, I trusted in Christ, I believe in Him, I'm a happy Christian. Not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. And note that the wording there is, it's been granted to you to do this. I want to wrap up this way. The rest of the band can, can come on up. We're going, to, we're going to wrap up with this thought. You can hear this, that I don't want to be granted that, it's, that I have to suffer for Christ. Thanks, Lord. I don't want that gift. I'll take the gift of salvation. I'll receive and believe. But I don't want the rest of this. This demanding part of following Christ no matter what. It sounds impossible. It sounds depressingly impossible. And here's the message this morning. It is. And that's the good news. This isn't on you. I want you to look at the words of this hymn. This is a mighty fortress is our God. It says this. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost thou ask, or dost, 
ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is He. I used to sing a song all the time. In fact, it still makes me hungry to sing this song. We would always sing it near the end of second service at Los Gatos Christian Church. And every time I hear Blessed Assurance, that was a closing song we would do as a kid. And my son would be rubbing. I couldn't wait for lunch. Like that's a, it's a weird, like, half-lost dog thing going on. But I'm in my office this week singing that song. And just going, man, the, 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 the truth of that hits on different ways and in different ways in different seasons of life, doesn't it? Some days we can sing that lightly and sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a poor taste of glory to This is my story. And we sing it kind of lightly. There's other times of life and seasons of life and days that with tears running down our face we say, this is a blessed assurance that I have today. Does it feel like it? I can't make sense of it in my knowledge database. But this is my blessed assurance that I have. Maybe some of you aren't on the Martin Luther side of things, but you're on the Cadman's Call song, Shifting Sand side of things. Listen to this. I hear it all depends on my faith. So I'm feeling precarious. The only problem I have with these mysteries is they're so mysterious. And like a consumer, I've been thinking, if I could just get a little bit more, more than my 15 minutes of faith, then I'd be secure. And the chorus of this song drums over and over this word. My faith is like shifting sand, changed by every wave. My faith is like shifting sand, so I stand on grace. The message I want you walking out of here is not a consumeristic mindset that says, I guess I just need a little bit more faith. Jesus comes home and says, faith is faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not in your faith in that sense. Stand on the character, the promises of God. Your last fill in your bulletin is probably your most important. It says this, in your greatest time of need, your greatest need is to see God. In your greatest time of need, your greatest need is to see God. And I close with these scriptures. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near to God. That's what we're doing in worship, by the way. With a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Do you see that it depends on him? Here's two promises that, that, that he promises. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Cry out to him. Say, God, I want to believe him. I want to grow in this. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident. There's that word. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that we would leave this place being amazed at who you are. Not shocked at our situation, not confounded by our struggles and our trials, not taking stock of, of us and clinging to our rope. God leaning in hard and listening to the voice behind us that says, I got you. Trust me. Lean in on the equipment. Reach that hand right up there and take hold and keep going. I'm here. I praise you, God, that the way you accomplish this is so often through your word. But it's also through your Holy Spirit that reminds us of truth. It's often through a brother or sister that comes along at just the right moment and brings a word of encouragement that is like healing to the bones. Maybe a word of rebuke that says, don't touch that salt water. It's going to kill you. You know this. Don't do it. God, would you help us in this room to be tender with one another? Would you help us be sensitive to where other people are and to actually consider their needs as more important than my needs and where I'm at? And God, would you help us even to give you the glory when you align things like emails coming the night before a meeting about your kids in Mexico that you want to bless? Father, we commit our ways to you afresh. 
I pray for those with questions that they wouldn't stop asking, that they wouldn't stop seeking. But God, I pray that you would lead them to waters of truth, God, that would feed their thirsty soul. I pray that you could allow this place to be a place to accomplish that. In Jesus' name.